G'day everybody and welcome to the Diana the Centre Migrating to Australia podcast. On this episode, I'm joined by Lee Chadwick. Uh, Lee runs the employment department and he's a previous migrant now living north of Perth. Um, and we'll hear Lee's migration story as well as learn about um, the employment department, but really focus on the um, what it's like to be the wife of um, Michael, who is working in the mines in WA. So uh, Lee, welcome. Thank you for having me. You're very welcome. You've been uh, an important part of the DUC structure for over four years. So you um, you started working for the you, you actually set up the um, uh, the employment hub and, and and came to Australia while I was in the while I was in the UK. That would have been um, interesting back then. Yeah, I think it's been so nice to see how much it's grown from when we first started, and obviously this was like pre-COVID as well. So a lot has changed during the time and obviously how many more employees we have on board now and yeah it's it's so nice to see it grow yeah so look we'll talk look we will get to the employment hub and, and a bit about your role within the business but I want to sort of focus on yourself the kids Michael and just sort of um, understand your journey to Australia where you're at now um, and we're having a bit of a, a laugh the other day about a few uh, what it's like to be the miner's wife as well um, <laughs> so we'll um, so we'll touch base on that so just um, who's in the family? Uh, so there's five of us. We uh, we started this in 2018, I think. I think it was 2018. And we looked at moving previously, but at the time, our cost was too expensive. And then we revisited it again, went to one of the DUC uh, seminars. And then I think we just signed up pretty quickly. We spoke to you, did that little bubble chart with us that you're notorious for. Um, other points calculator. No, you made me draw the bubbles with the the numbers where you're trying to. Yeah, that's it. It was the points, and then you like circle that, then circle this, and I remember I've still got the pad with all the circles on. Yeah, because um, it, it's interesting because when we do those shows, and I always say to I don't know, I always say to people anyway, it we know what you need to do to migrate, but it's important that the migrant understands the process because if they don't, they end up calling so many times, and as soon as it's, as soon as they understand the way it works, their points. Life's easier. So if I can get you to do it or the or the migrant to do it, A, it's kind of fun as well because you get to sort of, I don't know, get to know the person a little bit, have a bit of a laugh with them. But, uh, yeah, it's it, it, well, it worked because you're here now. Yeah, I mean, so that was our work mobile going off there. So. Um, yeah, like I think you really do need to understand it. Like it's a complete minefield at the very beginning anyway of of where to start the skills assessments, what visas and, and even like picking your state. Like I find that that's really important. And I find that that can also be a big reason why people return if they haven't looked at why they want to be in that state or that like we obviously are in WA in Perth and we came on a recce holiday first and Michael had to do the English tests to be able to apply for permanent residency. Um, so we came to Perth, we went to Melbourne, um went to Sydney and then we drove from we actually spoke to Jenny and she was like I would consider South Australia as well um so we drove from Melbourne to Adelaide and just looked at all areas and I just think WA just seemed a bit more like us like in this in the UK we come from um Somerset so there's just fields around not really much going on it takes quite a while to get to like a big city like London so I think it felt very home from home here like it's there's not huge amounts going on here in WA, but that's why people like it. It, it is it is referred to by many as like a large country town, you know, um, you know, coming from Melbourne, but it's definitely a beautiful place and so popular with um, with our migrants. So, Lee, you've got some. So you said there's five of you. So, so there's yourself, Michael, and you've got three yeah. kids. So we've got Zach, eleven, Macy, nine, and nearly six. Uh, sorry, Nelly, yeah. six. But and when you six. When they arrived, so you've been here for four years. So they were. So Nelly was just. She was young. Yeah, she was in. She was two. Yeah, yeah, she was. Like we, we did explain the process to other other two, and we showed them photos. And I think that was kind of why we really wanted to make sure we did the recce holiday and include them, so that they also got to understand the process a little bit. Obviously, they're a bit too young and naive to know everything that goes into it, but. Um, yeah, they were excited. It was just like one big holiday for them, you know. You needed um, Tanya's book, Harry's Adventures. That would have come in handy yes. back then. Yeah. Oh, massively, yeah. Because for kids, it's trying to explain it to them in a fun way and, and also keep them involved as well at the same time. 
Yeah, she definitely tick boxes creating that book. Um, yeah. Okay, so the kids, so um, Zach and Macy, the, the, um, they were at school age when uh, when you arrived. Yes. Yeah, I think they were, went into year three. Obviously, the schooling normally is September to July in the UK, whereas here the term times are February until December. Um, So they had a bit of time off school until they started. But yeah, they just hopped into school really easy. And and, and as a mum, were you like, were you nervous for the kids when they joined, you know, when they started? Yeah, they did a taster day. And I remember we were probably well, we were staying probably about an hour away from the school, but we knew we were obviously going to be moving. And I remember the guilt that I felt. And they weren't upset about starting. They were nervous, but they weren't upset that I was crying my eyes out and then ended up making them cry because of my nerves. Um, And it was horrible. It was such a horrible, daunting feeling of leaving them in a school with people they have no idea where they are, who they're with. Yeah, but they always prove that they're so resilient. And yeah, I think that's are, one they? of the biggest struggles for people when they move over is they always worry about the kids and the schooling. And you grow up in the UK knowing your area, knowing the schools that you're probably going to send your kids to. Whereas when you make that move, it's such a big pressure to make sure you've got it right with the schools. And we didn't get it right. We put them into a school in WA. It wasn't great. And then we ended up pulling them and then putting them into another school. Why it, wasn't it great, Lee? Um just because they had a newly head teacher that was taking over and just, I don't know, like we just noticed a difference in their attitude. Like they were happy there, but we we just weren't really entirely happy with the school, like the performance and stuff. So, yeah, we I think they started in the February. I think we pulled them after like six or seven weeks of starting um, and then COVID actually hit. So it was kind of a good timing in a way because everyone was homeschooled and then they started obviously another school again now. That's really cool, actually, that COVID hit at that point because it'll probably be hard putting the kids in school than taking them out. But, you know, yeah. I guess it's mum's instinct, isn't it, that gut instinct to, to say this isn't working, this isn't right. Um, yeah, 100%. And that's what I mean. It adds to that guilt of a parent of, oh, we haven't got it right first time. But I think most people I speak to, like clients as well, say the same things. It's their biggest worry of where to put them in a school, what happens if the school isn't right. But it's the same as houses. We've been here yeah, four years and we're on our fourth house now just because we were so desperate to buy when we first moved here. And we almost bought how we almost did a house and land package, but thankfully our mortgage person messed up, so we didn't go ahead with it. But it was in a location we thought we wanted to live in. But I think you need to be here. And this question I probably get asked quite a lot is like, should we buy straight away? And I would always say, like, no. Like, I hated renting for someone I didn't know, but it was good to rent for, I think, two years to really figure out, like, where we want to be, you know, with your job. Sometimes when you've, like, first move here, the first job you get might not be a long-term job, but it's a job to kind of get yourself set up. Um, So, yeah, it took us a little while to figure out. Like, we, we stayed in a similar sort of area, but just moved around suburbs. And also... Some people will rent somewhere in a really expensive area, put their kids into school, and then think, "Oh, actually, it's really expensive to buy." So then they have to like move further out. Yeah, I guess I guess the key thing is a bit of patience, isn't it? When you first arrive, you don't have to tick all the boxes; just sort yeah. of get a feel for areas. It's that's actually really good advice, Lee. Um, yeah. Okay, so so you made the move. Um, you know what made you? Well, you you spoke before that you did a bit of a tour and you um you ended up in WA. But was there a certain area in WA that you really liked compared to other areas? Um, do you know what? For some reason, we just picked north of the river. I don't really know why. Um, I think someone must have mentioned like the city of Joondalup area, so we almost picked there. Um, and Michael found an Airbnb to stay in on our recce holiday, um, in Currambine in WA in Perth. And weirdly enough, our house that we've bought now is two roads over from that. And the, the first school that we ever viewed was actually the school that the kids go to now. So it's almost like it all kind of fell into place and was meant to be. But, yeah, I think it's trying to do a bit of research. Um, but it's hard to research on something you know nothing of. It is. Um, it is. And, and also, That's exactly right. Where do you get the support from? It's really good for that because... I think that's where you can go on and say, I'm looking at moving to Perth. Anyone got any good ideas of suburbs or, you know, and the same as our 
relocation website, you know, that's full of all our migrants' stories of why they've picked where they live, why they want to be there, what they didn't like. It's good. It's really hard because, you know, like we're born all different, aren't we? We all have different choices, you know, like everyone and and where you're from. And and when when I'm doing these podcasts and asking questions, I feel like sometimes in the UK, sort of where you're, you know, where you're born is where you stay. Um, Yeah, it's what you're used to, isn't it? You know, and yeah, it's, I can understand why some people might come here and think actually it's really quiet and they want to move somewhere else or... Definitely different in Australia. Like it's very common for people to sort of move around, especially areas, you know, like they might be in Melbourne, but um, Melbourne's, it's so big. So there's like, there's just different areas. You can be like 10 minutes away from your parents when you first move out or you can be three hours away. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. It's so good. So it's getting to understand how big Australia is and when you make that move. But you mentioned patience before, which is really good. And um, how do you manage the kids' expectations? Did you did you have chats with them about the you know being patient until we get settled, or or did they just naturally go with the flow? Um, I think we're quite laid back as people, and I think they ended up becoming quite laid back as well. Um, and again, yeah, we just tried to involve them in everything, explain what we were doing. And when we first came here, we shipped a lot of our furniture over. So we had a period of, I think, about five weeks or so, where we had just nothing but a tiny fridge, like just roll up mattresses. And we just tried the same thing. It will come soon, you know. And yeah, just, just talking to them, I think, and keeping them in the loop really helped us. So Michael was the main applicant as a carpenter. Yeah. So we yeah. did skills assessment, he did his English test. And do you remember what visa you came over on? Uh, yeah, we're permanent residents, so 190. You came on the 190. Perfect. Yeah. Okay. So, um, and next year you've got citizenship then? Yes. Yeah, We. I think we can apply from almost now, almost, yeah, now we've hit four years. So. Which and have def- you looked into it, Lee? Pardon? Have you looked into it at all, being a citizen? Uh, yes, yeah. I know you can watch like a YouTube video and it tells you like a process of what to do and, and the test and like involved. So, yeah, Is, I hope I pass. <laughs> I'm not 100% sure, but some people say it's not too hard. It's kind of common. Is it something that you feel in the family like to get that Australian passport? Is that something that you feel would be like a, a big relief? Is it something that you'd feel like that's yeah. sort of the sense of fulfilment getting that? Yeah, it would be. Like, I think even when you do, I mean, obviously I didn't do the English test. Michael did that. um, And he was dyslexic. So he really struggled and worried about that. Um, But I think it's just once you get to even like visa lodgement stage, you have this huge feeling of like proudness. And I think it's the same kind of concept is once we get our citizenship, it will just be like, that's like our end goal then. Get your citizenship and you know you're officially living here you know and you're here to stay okay so so you arrive you've got all the kids and all that to deal with but obviously you've got to do um you know work and uh, and have a job and we spoke prior to you leaving um yeah. with what we sort of wanted you to do um from the down under center's point of view now michael being a carpenter arriving in wa you know what was his first job how did he go about finding that job so we arrived just before Christmas. So we arrived in the November and we, when we first started the process, we always said we would never move until we had a job for like job security and stuff. But then I think as you start going through the process, you kind of change and adapt. Um, so we said, Do you know, actually we'll just wait till we get here, get ourselves set up and then we'll just ring around some companies. So my, that's what Michael did. He called out quite a few companies, but I think the problem was that because it was before Christmas, a lot of companies shut down very early. Like the Aussies love their Christmas break, don't they? So, you know, they finish early and they don't come off their Christmas until end of January sometimes. Um, So we did struggle in that aspect. So the first job that Michael had was doing um, like a project managing role for a cabinet making company. Again, it wasn't the best job. He enjoyed it. Not so much, but it was just a job at the end of the day. At least we have money coming back in again and we kind of got ourselves set up. Um, and then he found another job doing project managing for another company. And again, I think this is where I was saying about moving around is until you know exactly where you're going to be working, I think that's like a big indication of like where you live as well. Um, 
just because you could be traveling like quite a long way otherwise and that's what he was doing he was traveling quite a lot for work so then that's why we ended up moving um, from one to rental to another just so that we could be a bit closer and the whole point of why you move here is for that work-life balance so we didn't want to be spending like hours queuing in traffic just to come back home again yeah yeah so okay so he was working at the chippy you've been yep. working for the down under center now ha- um, now things change so let's talk a bit about um you being a miner's wife i find that uh, very interesting and i'm sure the listeners <laughs> would as well so Lots of people come to Australia with the idea, when, and when we're speaking to it, lots of young working holiday um, people really get onto this as well. Is they want to go and work in the mines? They, you know, to them it's a gold mine. That's what they want to do. Um, yeah. What's it like? What's it like being, you know, being married to someone who's in the mines? And maybe we should start off by sort of um, talking a bit about the, you know, the roster. So, you know, what are his hours? Uh, so he works every other week. So he he managed to actually get this job through a neighbour. Um, and it was something we never considered, like never really thought about mining. That's not why we picked WA. It's just that we got talking to a neighbour and he was doing working away as well. And the idea just kind of came into our heads. And he had an opportunity that I think because he was doing project managing before, they were like, oh, we could see those skills and put them to good use whilst he was working away. Um, so he first started doing a two and one roster where he worked away for two weeks and was back for one week and it was fine to start off with but I think after about six months or so I started to notice that he just was missing more opportunities I think than he was home for and sometimes when we were going out like we would take pictures and I just noticed that Michael wasn't in the pictures as much um and then he switched to doing an eight and six so he's away for eight days back for six so like now he flies in and out every single tuesday uh, his flight going to work is about five o'clock in the morning and then he gets home about six o'clock the following tuesday like it's another evening flight um okay. and, I, and it's the perfect balance for us now because before when he was doing project managing he was a lot more stressed less money, never was around for school pickups, drop-offs, assemblies, whereas now he's home every other week. So he gets to still do the school drop-offs that he never got to do. And he's home all day and he gets like a good week's break, a refresh, and then he goes back to work again. And so so on like pay pay and everything like that, so yeah. is it so when they're not working, they're still getting paid. So it's like a yes. salary. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, it's just a salary. And then you get a bonus typically like every year as well, just for doing well. Okay. And then you mentioned the flight. So the company pays for all of that or that's an, or yeah. he has to Michael has to look after all that? No, no, no. So that's all included. So Michael flies with Qantas. Um, and the good thing is, is they actually give you the Qantas points. Even though you're physically not paying for the flights, you get all the Qantas points. So you can either buy things from Qantas, like we use some of our points to get back in when we first moved here, or you can save them for your flights. So if you wanted to save all your Qantas points, you can then entirely use those to buy flights to go into stay, out of stay, you know, anything like that as well. So you never, you never had, like you never anticipated or was never um, on the cards to, for Michael to be on the mines and everything. So you meet the neighbour and then how how does that conversation come between you and Michael? Was it your idea or his idea? How does it work? No, I think he just generally wasn't massively happy in his role. He always used to do, so we used to have our own building company in the UK and it was always residential. And the company he was working for here was like commercial based. Um, and then, yeah, I think because we were renting, we were looking at trying to buy so it was started off as a year plan to work away. If you did two and one for a year, we would have a good deposit to put down on a house. Um, and that's kind of all it was going to be. It was like a year plan maybe. Um, mm-hmm. And it's funny because they always call it the golden handcuffs because once you get in, you then don't want to leave, A, because of the money. And obviously it's just you get used to being in that environment. Um, so, yeah, we sat down and talked about it. And once he actually got the job, we then sat down and spoke to the kids. And I think that was probably the hardest part. It's explaining the, to the kids that mm-hmm. like dad would have to fly to work for and be there for two weeks. Um, I mean, I was a blubbering mess when Michael first flew out to, week, to work for those first two weeks. I was so nervous for him, you know, going to a mine site where 
he knows nothing about. It was a complete career change um, and, yeah, just not knowing anyone. But the kids, again, they just, they went with the flow. They would still FaceTime, like even now, you know, we FaceTime every single night so we can say hello to the kids. Um, and before you know it, a week's gone by so quickly and he's back home again. And and how do you struggle with the parenting side, just, you know, by yourself doing that with, as well as maintaining that connection with Michael? Uh, I mean, mine are obviously a bit older now, so I don't find it hard. I definitely have my moments where I'm like, I'm going to call your dad, you know, and, and it's not, you don't have that backup or... Is, is he the scary parent? Is he, is he the threat? Uh, and stuff goes wrong with the house. You know, last year we had um, a burst pipe and I was like, what do I do? Because Michael wasn't here and... Obviously, Michael's a tradie, so he would fix anything in the house. Whereas I was in a panic and it was nighttime. And and I think that's sometimes where you miss having someone at home in the evenings where if stuff goes wrong. I'm always like, oh, it's fine. Michael will fix it. He'll sort it out. Whereas when he's away, it's just, it's just ironic that stuff always goes wrong when Michael's not here. <laughs> it's always the way. I bet. So, so he leaves. Um, what, what does he jump in? Does he drive to the airport? Does he get a taxi to the airport? Uh, no, so him, um, there's always people around you that do, do the same. So he gets, um, like does a ride share with someone down to the airport and they pay about $100, I think. So they split it to literally like 50 bucks there. And then I pick him up every Tuesday evening because the kids love to watch. There's like a viewing platform at the airport here. Oh, um, yeah. So we always watch them land, like, land as well. Are the planes always on time? Um, is it most, kind of mind yeah, sometimes they're delayed and actually um, there's a strike I think with the airlines tomorrow um, but luckily he lands today not tomorrow otherwise he would probably have to stay up there but I know he says that the flying does take it out of you a bit more by doing eight and six because he's on a plane every other week or no every week sorry he's always like flying to and from and when he where's, doesn't where's he mining from Lee like how long's the flight uh, it's an hour and a half. So he works for a company called FMG um, and he works up at a Solomon site and he just flies from like Perth Airport here. So yeah, I think it's about an hour and a half flight each way. Yeah, it is. It's, so, it's such a different life. I remember growing up in Melbourne, they had I called up a mining company once um, and was like, all right, I saw you advertising for plumbers. And then they asked me where I was, and then I said I'm in Melbourne. And they said, okay, you got to, you know, you got to fly to WA to get your flight back. And I was like, well, can't. Isn't that what happens? And he was like, no, mate, that's the Melbourne myth. Everyone from Melbourne thinks that you know, mining company is going to fly them from Melbourne Airport to the actual yeah. mine site, and it doesn't happen. Um, so where you're living, I guess, I guess it's just a mining sort of state. Would that be fair to say? Like it's not. Yeah, it is, and. You actually be surprised. Like a lot of people will still live in Queensland and work in a WA site. So okay. some of Michael's colleagues, yeah, they live in Queensland and they'll fly in the day before. They typically will do like a two and two roster instead. So two weeks away, two weeks back at home. Because obviously eight and six is a bit pointless because you don't have much time. Um, but they still find the money much better to pay for their own flight to and from and then just stay in accommodation the night before. Is is mining an industry, you know, Australian mining and what Michael knows and if your experience, is an industry that you sort of start at the bottom and work your way up? Like could could, could someone going into it say, hey, I just want to do eight and six or would they have to start with two um, two and one, whatever you No, whatever. no, you, you can kind of pick your rosters depending obviously on what jobs are available and, and again, kind of depending on your role. So, Michael initially started off as part of like a blast crew um, and that's when he was doing two and one but there wasn't an option to do eight and six at the mine site that he was working from um, and then they changed it, introduced it because a few people were leaving saying it just wasn't kind of family friendly enough. Um, so they brought in the eight and six roster and now he's like a shot fire. but if you're supervising sometimes an 86 option might not be available for you. It kind of depends on what your operation is. And and so he gets to the mindset. So all of these like breakfast, lunch and tea and all that's paid. Do that, is, is that correct? Yes. Yeah. And I always laugh because he says, oh, I can't wait to come home because he says the food isn't amazing. Not that my food cooking is good, but he has the luxuries of waking up, going to go and get like a full breakfast if he wants to he can go and get himself lunch. Obviously they take, in the mornings, they go and, like, take lunch in a box ready to then take to site. Um, but, yeah, like, lunch, dinner, breakfast is all paid for. You know, they'd have to wash up for a week, to have to do any chores, cleaning. It's 
it's great. <laughs> yeah, I bet. And then I, what? what <laughs> So when he comes back, does like I guess he's spoiled for choice then because he has that pro- more choice um, to choose. Does he drive you crazy? Does he just like? Yeah. Do you know what he? There's a shop up there that you can buy food and drinks and stuff from as well, and they also have um, there you're allowed three free alcoholic drinks in the evening, but that's your limit. You're not allowed any more than that. Sorry, um, again. Free, free, so no, non-alcoholic drinks. Yeah. So no free alcoholic drinks. Okay. But that's your limit. You can only have so much like every evening. Um, so you can still buy some things up there. But yeah, when Michael comes back, I always have fresh bedding on a Tuesday for him. I always have a full food shop, everything for him. But he'll come home and just demolish cookies, chocolates and stuff like that. Because they're the things he doesn't typically eat when he's up there. Because he'll just get food from like the um, from, like the restaurants or such. But Michael's a um, pretty healthy guy. Like, is it, does he go to gyms? Is, like, does he, yeah, he does. He goes to the gym every morning at, like, 3 a.m. And, and, at the mine site? No, uh, yeah, at the mine site and back here as well. And I think because you wake up so early, obviously, it's 12-hour days up there. So they do leave, like, for camp really early. So, obviously, he's on a, a camp site as such. And then, obviously, they get on a bus and then they drive to, like, the main sites wherever they're shot firing. Um, and... Yeah, I think he's up at like three o'clock. His alarm goes off two, three o'clock in the morning. And I think that's the only issue is when he comes back home, he is still in that routine. So quite often the norm is he wakes up at three o'clock here, goes to the gym, but then he smashes out like a whole pack of cookies or Oreos. Like the kids <laughs> are, we have to hide food from Michael and he'll wake up in the middle of the night, go and eat food, get back in bed, sleep, and he won't even remember that he's eating it. You have to get the kids to find better hiding spots. Usually you know, you're going to hide it from the kids. <laughs> I actually went to Bunnings and I bought them a safe so they could like hide some stuff in there because Michael's ruthless. Like he'll just smash through like any chocolate he can find. But well, he's also working all day, every day because of his job and in the heat as well. Like he says he'll smash back like 10, 11 litres of water and he was like, I'll only go to the toilet like once or twice because it's it's really hot obviously up there. It's like high how, how so, it? Um, I think at the moment... It's about mid-30s, high-30s at the moment, and we're not even in summer yet. So it does get crawling up there, and he shows me videos and pictures, and he's got heaps of flies all over him, and they have all the things that cover their faces, like the nets and stuff. Um, And I obviously love the heat here. Like a typical summer day for me, it's like low 30s. That's what I hate, like the heat I love, whereas Michael's like, it's just unbearable sometimes up there, and especially when you're, next to all the huge machinery and trucks it's then even hotter so yeah like yeah. it's not I love that that he can come home and he can have a complete break from work he doesn't take homework with him or anything like that um but when he is up there like we were having dinner not that long ago and it was a hot day anyway and I think we've been quite busy in the day and Michael's like I'd only just be getting off the bus right now back into camp and this was at like half past five six o'clock and sometimes I think because I'm not at the mine site, I don't always see exactly what he's doing. And then I remember, actually, yeah, you are up really early. It's full on 12 hours of just walking and, you know, in that heat. See, I, I feel Michael earns his cookies, by the way. I feel he should be cookied up because that's it's hard work being in the heat. The thing is, I want to sit down. Like, I start obviously working for you for uh, like five o'clock in the morning. So I like to make myself a cup of tea go and get some McFee's biscuits and then I go to the cupboard and they're not there and it makes me angry because it starts my morning off bad so I don't have a good dunk in my tea. Yeah, there you go. So, all right. So, okay. Well, obviously there must be, there's a lot of sacrifice that comes with it. So let's just recap on the sacrifice. So obviously early mornings, you're missing um, him a, a fair bit and, and, and the kids are missing him. And like you say, they're resilient. They adjust to him. Has there been times where you just be like, geez, I wish he was here right now. I wish he was here to see the kid do this. Or, you know, yeah, never- there's, there's swings around, to be honest. Like obviously there's times where he's going to miss the like the kids' birthdays. You can obviously book time off as well, but he has missed my birthday. He's missed our anniversary. I mean, we don't really care about Valentine's Day as such. But, yeah, like, there's things he misses. Um, he's been mining for two years, and he's been home for two Christmases, whereas this year is the first year that he's not actually going to be home for Christmas. Oh, that's horrible. Um, yeah, it is. But do you know what? I think 
we have friends here that are like family so we'll still spend our Christmas with them but we're also delaying Christmas day by two days so the kids will write a letter to Santa to say can you come two days later because dad works away so we'll still celebrate our Christmas day as a family when he comes back so it doesn't bother me too much and I think and the same with like New Year you know he's actually home for New Year this year whereas last year he missed it um and it does suck sometimes when you're with all your friends and then you just notice that Michael's not there you know but it's that's just part of part of it if if you're going to do mining and you're going to have the money then something's got to give and that's just one of them yeah but well, let's let's talk about the money. I mean, just give an approximate. I mean, um, you said it's a salary. So, you know. Yeah, so this is what we were saying before is that he was on about 80, I think, when he first moved here doing project managing at the time. Um, was really busy all the time. Didn't get home till really late. Would leave really early. Um, and he's on roughly about 150 something, I think, a year now. And he gets every other week off. And he gets a bonus on top of that of... 10 to 20 a year um so there's huge advantages of working away in the mines compared to if you're doing like a monday to friday nine to five job i think you've got to be really trustworthy um in the like in the sense that you're you know you're like he obviously respects the fact that you can look after zach macy and nally and and the, and the, and the house runs okay without him because i reckon yeah. that'd be like one of my fears is like oh what happens as you said, like the water pipe burst, my wife wouldn't have a clue what to do. She'd move next door. <laughs> she wouldn't know. So um, you, you, you feel that. But then for him, he's like looking at it going, well, geez, we do this for a few years. I, I, is it? Have you guys discussed it? Is it, a, um, is it a few year plan or do you reckon those golden cuffs will be on for a while? Um, obviously, we have had our own business in the UK. So there's always times where Michael's like, I really miss having my own business. And eventually he might try and do something on the side again. Um, you could do a two and two roster, work away for two weeks, come back on those two weeks. You could still be self-employed and potentially pick up your own work. But to be honest, it works so well for us. Like I have enough friends that their husbands work away as well. So when Michael goes away, I binge on all the programs he hates watching, like the Kardashians and Made in Chelsea and all the things he doesn't like watching, I binge out on. And that's like almost my time with my girlfriends as well. And then when we come, when he comes back, that's like our family time, and I don't really do as much with my friends because that's like our time. So, um, yeah. Your and Lee, your friends were they introduced? Like, like, do the like does does the mining camps or do the blokes do they put things on for the partners? Are they encouraged to sort of let the the wives meet, or it was just by chance you met other? No, wives? I mean, it's just pure luck that you know my closest friend was living right next to me when we moved into a rental, and I'd say that's how we got the job. Um, and you meet so many people even at school you know half the kids in the class like we had a father's day here recently and Michael was working away and in the kindy class or pre-primary class they had um, a father's day morning half of the class were missing their dads because a lot of them were working away so we kind of stepped in so I think it's much more normal here for kids to know that their parents work away whereas in the UK obviously Michael was home all the time like he was never away so, yeah, it's kind of like the norm over here to be working away. Yeah, it's incredible. So all in all, you, you know, you're quite happy with the, you know, the family dynamics and the decisions of Michael working away on the mines that's working yeah. well for you guys. And would would it be, um, if do you feel if you had have arrived straight away um, to Australia being a migrant, you mentioned earlier you had a small little fridge when you arrived waiting for your shipping and all that to come, you have that anxiety, that pressure, new schools, um, you were quite lucky to have a great job when you arrived? Right, right <laughs> and, um, but would you, you know, would you give any like, like, would you? What advice would you give to somebody who was thinking about um, getting into the mine straight away? Uh, in all honesty, if if a job like Michael's got now was put to us when we first got here, Michael wouldn't have taken it, and I wouldn't have wanted him to take it because if you know people already here that's great like we knew of one person that we kind of briefly stayed with for um, a couple of weeks and that was all we knew here so I would have definitely felt like really lonely if that was the case um that Michael had to work away so I think you need a good kind of support network first and then go like Michael and I were very like we were all quite an independent family like we didn't always need our family to like babysit and stuff like that so we were good unit already I think you need to make sure you've got that 
if your partner's then going to go away because you'll then become like homesick or, you know, I think there's a lot more risks if they work away straight away. Yeah, well said. Well, so I think that's really good advice. Um, all right, so let's go back to a bit about the Down Under Centre and your role with the Down Under Centre. So um, your position within the Down Under Centre is to uh, work in the employment division and, I guess, run that division uh, yeah. and then um, be the go-to person for our employers. So um, we're not a recruitment company. We don't charge recruitment fees um, to um, employers. We charge a marketing fee to advertise their jobs um, and then just run through from once an uh, employer signs up with us. So we've got, what, 250 plus at the moment. We've got quite a few employers using us. Um, yeah. How does your day work and, 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 what are the, and, and what are employers looking for? I mean, typically they approach us because they want candidates that they just can't find here. And ideally they want people that's going to be able to start ASAP. So usually, you know, they'll come to us and I'll have a chat with them, see exactly what they're looking for. Um, you know, ask if they offer any relocation assistance or anything like that, kind of guide them through the process. Because equally, a lot of employers, I know you know, Wes, they don't really know the process. They just come to us and say, help, we really need this occupation or we need this. And they don't really know the process of sponsorship or any of the visa process. They're just desperate for candidates. So, yeah, obviously, we market out all the jobs and try and – we always say it's like a dating app, but it's for work. You know, we'll try and match the employers to – you know, clients, any candidates that we've got. And same with the employment hub. Obviously, they have access to the employment hub. They can go on, view everyone's profiles. They can come back to me and say, oh, I really like the look of this person. Can we get more information on them? So, and I think they mainly want people that are either, they can sponsor, they can get someone out quickly, or they look at people that have like lodged their visas that are within a three, four, five month window of arriving because they, they are just desperate, aren't they, for all these occupations. So and all they trade. Are. They are. And it's interesting how you say that. I guess it's, you know, managing expectations, how we explain it to them as well, is yeah. um, there's a cost of a sponsorship cost to immigration. I guess our fees to process the visas and the migrants always got fees and sometimes the employer will cover the cost of the fees and of the migrant side and sometimes they don't. But usually when you speak to employers, you'd think that you know, we've got English-speaking skilled migrants arriving with their full Australian qualification. Let's say a trade, well, like how Michael arrived, full Australian qualification as a carpenter, yeah. full permanent residency visa. He yeah. can live and work anywhere he wants. He holds the Aussie qual. He's basically just got a funny accent, you know, when he arrives. Yeah. But, but he can then move on, as you guys did, from, you know, from yeah. job to job. And and sometimes the employer-sponsored visa just gives that employer a bit of um all right, well, look, it's going to cost us. Because if they come, let's be honest, if the guy's already got a visa, it's cost the employer nothing. Yeah. Because there's no recruitment yeah. fees. It's, it works well. But, but you know, the, but, but the migrant can move. At the same time, the migrants generally want to get settled, don't they? They want to, you know, try and get their fee, try and get the kids settled. Um, yeah. So, you know, being at work. Circumstances as well. Like some people will come to me and say, I really need a sponsorship. And I say, okay, like, why do you want sponsorship? And they haven't quite looked into the skill process yet or they think that that's the only way to move here is because they they need a job and they need security. And necessarily, like, that isn't always the case. Just because you've got a sponsored job doesn't mean you've not got that security um, or have got it. And the same the other way around with a skilled visa. You know, some people are a bit worried about getting a skilled um, or they want to go for a skilled and won't consider sponsorship. It just completely depends whether you've got kids, what you want to what you know what you want to achieve and you know there is absolutely no right or wrong it's purely about situation and what immigration are doing at the time you know we've got clients waiting for um, states to open we've got clients waiting for visas to be granted um, and we've got employers looking to sponsor them and you know do you, you know do they do they go through the sponsorship side put the employer through the costs and then apply when they're onshore yeah um, you know how yeah, does that work it's just it's just a case of like connecting up some you know so if you've lodged your visa recently you know it's not too early to apply because I pass on your resume to that employer and they've got your details then and they might contact you and say hey like as soon as you get your visa hit me up and hopefully I'll have a job for you lined up so sometimes it is just about connecting it and I know we used to jump on the webinars every single month when we knew there was employers on because it was maybe just like another contact for us to speak to or if you come here on a recce holiday, you know, let me know because then I can maybe introduce you to a couple of employers. You can go and meet them, get a feel for it. They can get a feel for you as well. And that's kind of like what we try and do is 
just connect it. And it takes off a huge amount of pressure, obviously, if you have got a job lined up or at least if you've got a few connections anyway. And then just listeners out there, do make sure your um, your employment hub profile is live and up to date. Um, yep. that, you know, we know the employers value that because it's it's you, you obviously you attach your CV and everything there, but you've got the timeline like your plane moves closer to Australia. It, 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 it helps them understand when you're arriving, but it gives more information on what the visas that you're on, you know, is it a is it a four nine one? Is it a one ninety? Is it a one eight nine? Are you coming over on a work and holiday visa? What's your plan? As as Lee said, and, and I really agree with her, is you you can have a plan to get here and you can have an idea of what it's going to be like, but try go with the flow as much as you can and and over committing at such early stages might put you under a bit more pressure. But that's just how me and Lee feel about it. Other people probably would be like, hey, I don't want to pay rent. I've sold my house and I want to buy a house straight away because that's going to make me feel better. Absolutely fine. There's no right or wrong with it. It's interesting, Lee, chatting to so many migrants um, you know, that actually came over and bought a house straight away. And they'll say, well, that's, their, that, that's what they wanted to do because they felt that they've already achieved straight away. Um, and that's where they wanted to be because they've done their research, looked at the um, the relocation website as well. It's it's amazing what people go through, Lee, to, to get here. And then if you don't have a job when you arrive, it's a little bit harder to find property. I know Lisa um, from our relocation team always talks about that as well because it's just reality. If you can have a job before you arrive, um, it's, it, it's so beneficial to make sure that you move is going to run a lot more smooth. And, and you pay a, play a really good um, role with that. Is I mean, do you enjoy that role, Lee? Yeah, massively, because I think I remember the stresses of Michael calling up the company saying, have you got a job? And they're like, no, no, we don't, sorry. And then and you panic almost. And I, I still remember this. We were walking down to one of the beaches. And I remember Michael saying, we might have to go home. Like, if I don't get a job soon, like we might have to go back. And I was like, no, like that's not an option because we – got rid of everything in the UK we packed it and we always had that thought in our heads that we weren't coming here just for a year or two years to try it out we were putting everything into this move you know um so yeah like there are there are a lot of stresses and it's just nice to be able to work for people to say yep okay we'll match you up and when you know an employer obviously offers a job to someone it is it's such a great feeling and you follow that process through as well and that's kind of one of the reasons why I think we all, you know, we love working for the DUCs. We all have that same passion. We've all gone through the same experiences as well. So we can really relate to everything. Yeah. So I, I, we I, have I, our, our DUC meetups and stuff. And we have people that have, we did um, one recently and someone had only arrived about a week ago. And well, there's two couples that had actually been here for a couple of weeks. And, and you can just say, don't worry, that's that's completely normal. You know, that's normal to be feeling like that or same as being homesick. You're like, that's that's completely normal. That's like part of the process. There's a, there's a meetup happening soon because Gemma and Hannah are doing a barbecue. and um, yeah. On the 14th, yeah, the 14th of um, October. I think it's on a Saturday. We're meeting at the beach to do another big meetup. Yeah, I'm like supplying lots of sausages. So get down there if you, well, if this is out then. But um, the meetups are really good. They are a good way to to meet up. And I guess that's a bit of the culture of what the DUC is trying to build in and sort of say, look, we want to be able to help you from that initial consultation um, which nine times out of 10 is a free consultation to see if you're eligible. And guys, if you're not eligible and you've had a consultation with us, we don't want to tell you you're not eligible, but we're also not a business that's going to take money from people that who aren't eligible. It's just not in our DNA. It's not, we, like, we're just not interested in doing that. So we want to sign you up. You know, we want to get you to Australia. Um, sometimes it's hard. And, and at the moment, Lee, with, uh, you know, with the states not inviting all people and having less options, we've got to get a feel for what immigration are going to do. So the end of, you know, 2023, start of 2024, we'll probably upset a few people by suggesting maybe that they just wait a little bit and not rush into this move to Australia because at the end of the day, guys, it's going to cost you tens of thousands of dollars to move on a permanent visa. If you can get offered a sponsored visa and the employer's paying for it, well, that's great. But most employers yeah. want, want the migrant to put some skin in the game, um, you know, put something towards it because then it's not, you know, it's, it's, it's not just free. We, you know, imagine being an employer and myself and Lee will get this where, you got, I mean, you got one today, Lee, I noticed in an email that, you know, we've got a guy who's applied for a few jobs with different employers who are happy to start the visa process. We start the visa process and 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 they jump ship and it's like, the, you know, the employer comes to us, say, what's going on? And 
you know, again, we don't charge recruitment fees. So it's not, um, you know, financially, it's not, we don't feel under pressure that we've done something wrong, but we're like, we need to understand why that migrant wants to change so many yeah. times. And it's frustrating for the employers, guys. Like, imagine um, being hit up and, and when is the right time to ask an employer for a job? Imagine advertising a job and someone hitting you up saying, yeah, I'm going to be there in eight months. Well, eight months, the guy needs someone now. So yeah, like, we have quite a lot of people that apply for jobs and are not planning to arrive till kind of 2025. And I don't even know where I'm going to be in 2025 if I'm going to be in this house or, you know, it's, you don't know that far and ahead always. So yeah, typically, I mean, our employers are desperate for people. So they want people that's going to be here ASAP. And it definitely, like you said, it definitely pays to, like look into your visa, figure out what you want, why you want that, why you want to go to that state, and and everything will then just start falling into place. There's work everywhere I find as well. Like we're not, um, you know, obviously we get like a few jobs in the Northern Territory and probably not most of our, like we did a poll on the DUC club um, and we, you know, we found out that Perth and Brisbane were were clearly the two favourites, uh, followed by yeah. South Australia, Victoria, then New South Wales, and it's Northern Territory. In Melbourne, West, that's why. <laughs> the what? Sorry. Which rains in Melbourne? That's why. Uh, yeah, well, well, I was going to say yesterday was a beautiful day, but we've got a bit of <laughs> cloud cover. But but Northern Territory um, and Tasmania weren't sort of like on our clients. You know, when we did the uh, you know put the questions out there. We get a few jobs out there, but most um, most of the jobs that we've got for our like our common like you know teachers, nurses, fitters, fabricators, electricians, plumbers, welders, chefs, cooks, um, IT people, they're pretty much Australia wide, aren't they, Lee? They're not just focusing on one state. It's a it's an it's it's not a state um, shortage of, of occupations. Um, it's it's an Australian shortage, isn't it? Yeah, and, and also, like, if we, we, you know, obviously we work with, like, all employers, recruitment companies and stuff as well. So, you know, if you do go onto the employment hub and you don't find a job that's, you know, your occupation, there's, like, a link to your questionnaire. You can just fill out this questionnaire. You attach your resume and it comes directly to me. Um, so I can always send that on to, you know, different recruitment companies and see what opportunities there are for you as well. So, yeah, just because it's... Yeah, we don't promise jobs or anything like that, okay? And we let it up to the employer. So sometimes people come to myself and lean and say, look, I, I've, I've done my employment hub and I've applied for jobs. Well, our, our role is to get the information from you and pass it on to um, reputable employers who we know are going to take, um, you know, who, who, who are legitimately looking for jobs. Um, so, if you, you know, it's up to them to, um, to get back to you. But it goes back saying make sure your employment hub profile is live and that's a tool that all of our clients get for free, for, you know, who are processing visas with us. Just make sure that, um, you know, everything's on there and it's as much detail as possible. Yeah, and I can also vouch for this because obviously I see who applies and who gets shortlisted and a lot of the people that get shortlisted are the ones that I've sent over a link. So once you've filled out your employment hub profile, I can send your profile to that employer. Um, and and I always say this is one of the best things about the employment hub is I know previously in you know, you know, in the UK when I was applying for jobs, you send your resume, but that's all you can do. You can't just put a face to the name or express yourself anymore. Whereas the employment hub, you can upload a video if you want to, you can upload pictures of your work, whereas you can't normally do that with a resume. And and I don't think people sell themselves as much as they can in resumes as well. Like some of them you, you're just stating what you do as a job. You don't sell yourself to an employer. So, yeah, I definitely see the differences with people that have updated their profiles. They've got more to show, and that's what the employers tend to go for because they can see so much more. There's so much opportunity, Lee. Well said. Like, yeah. you know, make your videos, guys. Sit on the couch with the family and introduce yeah. yourself and why you're moving to Australia. Like like being an Aussie, like we, we – the work-life balance. I mean, we had a grand final weekend for the AFL. So you're in Melbourne. You get Friday off you know, just because of the grand final, the Aussie rules footy. And then the other states, they they get Monday off because the NRL final was on the Sunday night. Like it's, we we are allowed to have holidays and we are, it's not just work, work, work. It's a beautiful work-life balance. And employers respect that. You yeah. mentioned they want to know as well. Like they have, especially if they're sponsoring, they want to know why you're moving to that state because it's such a risk for them as well to sponsor someone. So they really want to know, why you want to move to that state and that's what I try and say if, if any obviously when our clients get um shortlisted for interviews they'll sometimes say to me 
what do I need to do? And I might just research your area and say, like, why you want to move to that state, you know, and, and why are you moving to Australia? And the employees really like that. They want to know that information. Yeah, it's so important because it's a cost, isn't it? They're just yeah. as nervous as you, the migrant. Um, yeah. And we'll, we'll get a few more employees on, uh, you know, throughout the podcast series for sure. So, but Lee, thank you so much for the insight of being the miners, um, you know, the miners. wife. I find that really interesting because, there, there is a lot of work for the mines um, at the moment. And uh, just going back to qu- qu- qualifications were quite an important part. Am I correct in saying for um, for Michael to be on the mines? Um, no, I mean, he, he was a carpenter by trade, what got us over here. And he is a shop fire, so he just blows stuff up, basically. And obviously, he had no experience in that. But with the carpentry, I find that you can put your hands to most things. So, and obviously, because he was project managing as well they could use those skills I think as long as you're saying that you you know you're fit and healthy that's what they mainly look at as well as long as you're fit and healthy that's what they want and it's one of those it's one of those where you got to know someone to get in and then once you're in you're in yeah it really is like there's obviously companies that recruit and that so yeah if you know someone it's it's 100% easier to get in if you can get kind of recommended but yeah well, so he was just lucky to get what he did, and he and like I say, he thoroughly loves the career change as well. Mrs. Carpentry, but to be fair, when he comes back, I have enough carpentry jobs around the house for him to do, so he still gets to do his carpentry jobs. Sounds like <laughs> you should get him to build another cupboard. Yeah, oh, I just sit on Instagram and Pinterest, and I'm like, oh, I got this idea when you come back. So yeah, sometimes he probably dreads coming back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, Lee, thank you so much for um, for sharing your experience in migrating and um, yeah. and everything like that, and 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 Michael's role. Um, yeah. So, guys, uh, yeah, that was Lee. So, if you're interested in any of the employment uh, products or anything like that, just jump on our website. And thank you again, Lee. Anything you'd like to add? Uh, no, like if yeah, if you're looking for jobs or you need just some advice on anything, even mining advice. You know, if you're looking at it or you know want to have questions and answered then, uh, yeah, just feel free to give me a buzz, email me, and I'll get back to you. And get your employment hub profile set up and live. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Yeah. All right, listeners, well, good luck with your journey down under. Um, thank you again for listening to the DUC Migrating to Australia podcast. Cheers, guys. Bye. Bye.